and welcome to Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio, big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. I'm your aptly named host of your favorite hebdomadal podcast. And oh, I'm glad you're with me. I'd suffer the embarrassment of Ruba Miliaria if you made me hot with the idea that you missed this week's show. Next year's plan for your year-end donors. We're in the fourth quarter and you're expecting a lot of fundraising revenue. You want those donors with you next year and beyond. Punam Prasad has the strategies to make that happen. She's president of Prasad Consulting and Research. On Tony's Take Two, Planned Giving Accelerator. We're sponsored by Turn2 Communications, PR and content for nonprofits. Your story is their mission. Turn-2.co. It's a pleasure to welcome to the show for the first time, Poonam Prasad. She is founder and president of Prasad Consulting and Research, providing board and staff training, audit, major gift, capital campaign, and publication services to nonprofits. She's on the executive committee of the Giving Institute, leading consultants to nonprofits. Before nonprofit work, she was an investigative reporter and worked in journalism, advertising, and PR in India, South Korea, Hong Kong, the West Indies, and the U.S. Her company is at prasadconsulting.com, and she's at Prasad C. Welcome to the show, Prasad, uh, Poonam Prasad. Welcome to Nonprofit Radio. Thank you, Tony. It's a pleasure to be with you. My pleasure to have you. Thank you. There's so many so many Prasads. I, I called you Prasad instead of Poonam. So you're in uh, you're in New York City, right? You're coming to us from yes. New York. Yes, I'm coming to you from downtown Manhattan. Downtown, what neighborhood? Oh, East Midtown. Sorry. Oh, now you moved. So you're not in downtown yes. anymore. Yes, no, we, we moved. We moved recently near Grand Central Station. Okay, near Grand Central. And and how about your home? Where 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 is your home? Also in Midtown. Midtown, Midtown East, also. Midtown East, also. Okay, yes. East Side of New York City for your business and your home. Wonderful. So we're talking about this year's uh, fourth quarter donors and how we want to treat them and work with them so that uh, we hold on to them into 2022 and beyond. So just, you know, because we know that donor attrition is a big problem. It's appalling somewhere around 75% uh, annual donor attrition rate. What do you see, you know, generally that uh, nonprofits could do better about holding on to their year-end donors? For Actually, Tony, uh, the attrition rate or the leaky bucket is almost uh, from three donors, you get down to one and a half, or from two donors, you could be down to one next year. So for all the efforts that you're putting in to bringing these donors in, if you think about, you know, we, we are a research firm. So we often get people asking us, can you find me new donors? Can you find me new donors? And sure, we can find them new donors. But the point is, once they've got them in, they've spent so much effort and time and money on getting them in. And then if you don't steward them, if you don't get to know them and you don't work with them, then you're going to lose them by next year. And, and that's the tragedy of, uh, of uh, fundraising. You know, right. that is really uh, very inefficient. So, so I suggest only just two little tips. The donors that you get in at the end of the year, there are only two things you need to do with them. One is get to know them 
and then the second one help them to get to know you so show them that you are doing the right thing with their money you know the impact report reporting telling them what you did with their money and how you could not have done it without their money and the second thing learn about them you know if you were trying to become friends with someone you went to a party and you met somebody and you said oh you know this is a really interesting person uh they came to my birthday party they gave me a present i would like to be more friends with them would you not write them a thank you note would you not invite them to a party afterwards would you not in, say let me have coffee with you these are simple things that we do in everyday life but then when you're the executive director of a of a charity a little social service charity you say i don't like to do fundraising well it's not it's human relations these are people who gave you something they didn't have to give you they could have bought a boat they could have bought a car they could have bought a dress they could have bought a rug for their living room no they gave that money to you shouldn't you be grateful don't we tell our children you get a thank you gift for aunt mabel you never met aunt mabel write her a thank you note sit down here and write write her a thank you note she sent you this gift it's it's simple it's 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 not it's not it doesn't even have to be about fundraising yes a lot of small agencies don't have fundraisers don't have dedicated development people right. but this is not even about development this is about standard manners you know standard courtesies things that we grew up with but okay. when it becomes oh my goodness it's my donors i don't like donors i'm i'm afraid to ask them for more you know just thank them first before you think about asking them for more you know and don't wait too long figure it out you know have the plan now you're getting the money in 40% of the money is going to come between october november and december that means it's coming in now october you know and in december you're going to get 20% of your money so what is your plan for january what is it that you're going to do okay okay uh, well, we're going to all right we're going to get there we're going to get there hold on um so you made a couple of things uh points that I want to amplify about it just being a matter of common courtesy in in a lot of respects and it be a, being about just relationship building right so you've got you know in 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 corporate marketing there's the idea of get a finger grab a hand you know someone walked into a Starbucks they bought a coffee well Starbucks doesn't only sell coffee they sell music they sell food they sell coffee accessories they sell attire right but not to mention they sell an environment uh so and i think there's a lot we can learn from from that you know get a finger grab a hand so someone let's let's take the donor that's made their first gift right because that's the tougher one that's the that's the easiest one to lose yes that, that absolutely first, that's the first most fragile gone. that's the most fragile relationship right So we're going to start with that. I'm giving you the toughest hypothetical, right? So all right, so we've got a bunch of first-time donors. We had a very successful fourth quarter in uh, donor acquisition. We brought in a good number, uh, whatever good number is defined by by listeners, that could be 12, it could be 1200, it could be 12,000. We've got a bunch of new first-time donors. You started to allude to, you know, what's your plan? What's your plan for January? What what what's your first recommendation for what we're going to do with this this nice rich cadre of first time donors well my first recommendation is of course that in within 48 hours they get a tax receipt if it's over a certain amount that you need to give them a tax right receipt. 200 right 250 requires yeah. a receipt 
Yes. But how about your? How about just a simple acknowledgement letter? Also, then, 48 hours. Then you start. Then you start with the next. So then, depending on how much money you, they got, they sent you. You need to figure out who they are. If it's over a thousand dollars, you need to send it to somebody to research, somebody in your office, or somebody you outsource it to. You need to figure out who this donor is and why they gave to you. Well, all right, but for for some nonprofits, that could be if it's over a hundred dollars. Yes, if it's mm-hmm. over a hundred dollars, you might wait till January and take the whole batch and screen them. So we are now screening a batch for a, a social service agency in Connecticut, and we're screening uh, 690 donors that gave from twenty dollars up in the last two years. Now it's late that we're doing it now, but you know it's better than nothing. So I su- suggest that you know we have another client that we're doing. Um, over the pandemic, they said they had 274 new donors who gave over $500, and we're looking for people within that group, within that cohort, who would give maybe $10,000. They actually have people. We just finished that project, and they actually have people who would give them not just $10,000 but $100,000. Okay, okay. Well, let, all right, let's take it a, a step at a time. So we're sending our acknowledgement within within 48 hours. Yes, and if a tax receipt is required, then you might incorporate that into your acknowledgement, or you might send something separate. All right, yes. We, yes. We're, we're saying thank you fast. Now, yes. is there is there nothing else between, you know, suppose that's an October or November donor? Yes. Is there nothing else between that and screening them in January? Uh, or, or don't we want to don't we want to be involved with them? Yes, yes. So, the, so in, then you start. November then you start November, with the seven December. thank yous. Then you start with the seven thank yous because this person has given you a. A donation, and depending on their level of giving and the effort you have to put in, you start with sending them your annual report, your newsletter, welcome email. Some some agencies have a three series of welcome emails, and so you do that. Maybe you send them a donor survey, which to, they respond to and tell you what aspect of their uh, of your program they are interested in. That would help you a lot uh, to know. You know, we have a social service agency. They do senior uh, care. They do middle school education. They do uh, other kinds of uh, adoption. So now, which program is that person interested in? Right. If they can tell you, or you can find out, given on based on when you do the screening and when you do the research, you will see what else they're giving to, and okay. that will give you a clue as to which part of your program they care about. All right. Well, you you also have a clue based on what they gave to. Yes. They, yes. If they, if, 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 if you know, a lot of people don't designate a gift. Yes. So I agree. I agree with you. But yes. if they designate their gift to a particular program, then you know where their affinity is. Yes, and you note that in the database right away. Of okay. course. Not, absolutely. Uh, yes, it's important to preserve what people give to, just like it's important to preserve the donor survey results that you suggest. Absolutely. Okay. What What might be what What might we be Soliciting uh, information about in that in that follow up donor survey, you want to get to know folks better. Which aspect of the program they care about? How they heard of your agency? You know, uh, would they ever would they attend a webinar if if you had one? Hmm. Would they be willing to travel and come and see your uh, facility? Uh, you know, is is there a particular staff person that? You know they have met with, or or they know about, or you know each each agency is different. So you would ask different questions based on 
what you want to know uh, about them, uh, what would help you. So okay. th- those would be, for instance, with this, where there are three uh, different, uh, we have an Irish theater company. Well, they would want to know which, which playwright, you know, is their favorite. If you're a music or something, you might want to know which music they care about. If you're a medical agency, you might, uh, we used to send out surveys and say, which disease do you want to know more about? So we can send you newsletters about that disease. So, you know, based on your uh, interest, based on your work, you ask the right questions. Okay. And, and you also mentioned the seven thank yous. Yes. So this say, a little more about, say, say a little more about your seven thank yous. This is, this is my mantra that I have been teaching. Uh, you know, I've been teaching at NYU and also at Columbia and, I teach uh, workshops all the time. And this is one of my mantras that I teach. And, and now my students have started reciting it back to me. So, and it seems like, oh my God, they're going to say, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's not that. You have to be creative. So you might send them the tax receipt, which is the first thank you. And then depending on our, after that, you might have uh, the executive director writer, thank you. You might have the development director writer, thank you. You might have the program director. We have a little archaeological excavation. You know, there are two main archaeologists archaeologists involved with it. And depending on which one uh, is, uh, you know, closest to that person who sent the gift, we'll have them write a PS on the, on the thank you note, which we draft for them. For some people, I might call them and say, you know, because I'm in New York City, I might call them to say, thank you, I've received your gift. I, it'll take a while for us to process it. But in the meantime, I want you to know that your check was received and we're so grateful and the excavation will start on such and such a date and we'll send you pictures and this is our Facebook page and, you know, communicate with them. Uh, one of my friends uh, sent her son to a boarding school and she sent a little gift where she'd been sending it to the local school all the time. But now, because it was a boarding school, the parent, suddenly she got a call from a parent. She got really worried. Why is this parent calling me? Well, she said, you know, I know you sent a gift and I wanted to tell you thanks from the school. But also I want to tell you that I was yesterday at the tennis match in which your son played. And my son is captain of the team and he played so well and we were so proud of him. My goodness, do you think that lady is not going to give another gift after that? I mean, it's just brilliant. And it wasn't even a staff member. It was a volunteer. Right. Just I, have, I have another agency this year. There was a crisis and people asked me and I happened to have insight into that particular problem. They said, what should we give to? I said, oh, this is a great agency. I've been you know, involved with them as a volunteer for a long time. You know, they use the money very well. They're doing really great work. They sent the money. I sent the money. None of us have ever gotten a thank you note. Now they're doing the work. They have social media. They have Facebook. They have LinkedIn. They have eBlast. They're sending us the e- all the information about what they're doing. And we are so happy they're doing it. But they didn't do not one thank you. Yeah. And one of the donors sent it from a donor advice fund. He's got no thank you, let alone seven. It's time for a break. Turn to communications. I'm on their email list, and they said something this week that's very interesting. They talk about seeing good news stories on social media, uh, specifically LinkedIn in this case, and the uh, frequent lament that people will, will comment 
that you'll never find stories like this in the mainstream media. In fact, Turn 2 points out that many, many of these good news stories originated in mainstream media. Um, you know, some are, were in newspapers, others might have gotten exposure from national outlets like the New York Times or CNN or one of the major networks. But the point is, a lot of these stories originate in, in some mainstream media and then make their way to social media. So what's that mean for you? It means there are a lot of journalists that are interested in good news stories that maybe just generate a, a laugh or a smile, or it's, it's, um, it's more of a, uh, a story about work that a nonprofit has done. So the journalists are out there. They are hungry for these good news stories. If you've got something like that, look internally. If you've got some good news, Turn 2 can help you get it noticed, right? Help you craft that good news story and then get it exposed in all the outlets you've heard me talk about. So they, they finish up this, this, <laughs> I'm choking up. That, that's how, uh, that's how, uh, uh, this much this touches me. They finish up their, uh, their email by saying there are lots of journalists out there that are ready to give good news stories a look despite what you may read on LinkedIn. So, you know, they've got their eyes on the, the media market. Turn to communications. Your story is their mission. Turn hyphen to.co. Now back to next year's plan for your year end donors. Yeah. I mean, that's, that is a very bad practice to have gone. Well, you know, some folks say 24 hours, you're, you're being more generous, 48 hours. That's still fine. But if it goes much longer than that, and you're, you're saying it's been months or whatever, you know, that to, uh, to not acknowledge every single gift. I don't care if these are $3 gifts. I don't care if it's a dollar and a half. It still deserves an acknowledgement. You just never know. Someone might be testing you with a small dollar amount. And really, who gives a dollar and a half anyway? So that, that's, you know, that's uh, hyperbolic on the low end, right? Uh, but if someone gives you $5, they might be testing you. They might have capacity to give 5000 or 50000 They They may have capacity. They may feel that they they can't or or they, they know they can, but they're, they're trying you out. Every gift deserves an acknowledgement. So what you were just describing, that's very poor practice. Well, unfortunately, the, the excuse is that they are, because they're doing such good work, they are understaffed and they're a nonprofit. So well, they don't have capacity. Uh, that, that doesn't that doesn't sell. That's a that's a non-starter. You, you need to invest in your organizations to, to the extent that you can thank people. Thank, thanking people is not overhead. Uh, it's not worthless. It's it's an administrative investment. It's not an expense. And it's it's an investment in the relationships that you're talking about. You, you mentioned earlier, you know, absolutely build, relationship absolutely. building. It, that's an investment. Thanking people, absolutely, and and that's how one needs to think about it. And, and, you know, uh, the board members, the staff, the executive director, everybody needs to be aware that how important this is. Now, another thing that people ask us a lot is, we got a gift from a donor advice fund, and we don't have any access to the donor. So we don't know how to thank them. And we want to know who they are, what they are. And, you know, they're breaking 
every sort of uh, possible way of trying to Google it, to trying to get us to do it. This is so simple. This, these, these two donors who gave to this charity that gave through the donor advice fund that I know about, they are friends of the board members. If they put a list in front of the board members and said, you know, we got a gift from so-and-so family fund, and unfortunately, we don't know how to thank them. We sent that maybe they sent a thank you note to the to the donor advice fund agency. Somebody would speak up. Or you look in your database and say, oh, they came to the gala. This is the same person who came to the gala and sat at, you know, board member access table. So he's going to know this person. So let's tell him that your friend gave us a gift, even though there was no gala, even though there was just a virtual gala and he still gave us a gift. He didn't yeah. even sit at your table. All right. So those, the, right, the, those are those are good ideas. But, but there is frustration among among nonprofits getting donor advice fund gifts when, you know, okay, so you're right. Try try your board, query your database. But there are gifts that come that sometimes that folks can't identify. And that I know that is a frustration among nonprofits. Yes. But, you know, more and more people uh, have who have set up donor advice funds want people to know who is giving. It's it's less and less about being anonymous now. People are going back to setting up foundations or entities from which they can give uh, and be known. And they want that because they want to add their credibility to the gift. They want people to know that a person whom they know gave to this charity because it helps the charity. It does. Right. Well, there are, there are donors who would not agree with you, but uh, I, I do. I agree. Uh, but there are always some donors that are going to remain anonymous. And I, I mean, I've always thought, you know, focus on the donors who you can identify. Yes. I understand the frustration for those you cannot. They may yes. come to you through a Facebook fundraising event and Facebook yes. doesn't share the information. They might come to you from a donor advice fund that is not a name that you can track or uh, focus on the folks that you can thank. And yes. for the donor advised fund, of course, we should be sending a letter to the fund, right? Thanking, asking them yes. to forward the letter on to, the, yes, to, their, exactly. to their anonymous donors. Exactly. And they would, I'm sure. They now, do. The, the, they, same, they do. the same donor, the same donor, the friend of mine that gave, because I said, oh, this is a good charity you could give to them. It's also sent to another charity in the same space. And he got his seven thank yous. He actually told me I got seven thank yous. So he said, you know, the development director wrote, the executive director wrote, the board member wrote, they sent him an annual report, you know, they invited him to an event. They sent him different things, you know, I mean, reports, personalized. Yeah, yeah. All right. I mean, you could take a little video and send to the person. Yeah, this is the pers- program that, you know, there's small things that you can do. Personalized video is a terrific idea. Um I'll give a shout out to a company that's not expensive, Bonjoro, bonjoro.com, B-O-N-J-O-R-O. Easy, personalized videos. You, you shoot a one minute video and you say thank you and it, you can you can be walking, you can have any background you want to, to know. The, the, the production value is not the concern. The sincerity, the genuineness, that's the concern. And you do it in a 45 second or one minute video you send it right back to the right to the person. You could do it immediately. You could do it the next day. So, and Bonjoro is by no means the only personalized video uh, platform out there. But um, yeah, you're right. Personalized video is a good one. Um, 
All right. So you mentioned these screenings. So now we're now we're a little longer on. Now we're into January. Yes. Right? We've we've done our activities for the fourth quarter. Now we're conveying into January. What 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 kind of information uh, are you looking for in a in a screening? Does it have to be a commercial screening? You know. What are we? What are we looking at? Yes, you could you could do research, or you could just go for a screening, depending on the number of donors. If you have seven donors, you know, you just give them to somebody to research who has tools like screening tools and research tools, and ask them to do it for you, and that's all you need. Uh, you don't need a sophisticated screening, but if you have six hundred and seventy donors or something that are new, and they've all given maybe over twenty dollars or fifty dollars then you certainly should have a, a screening done. But don't try to do it yourself because then when you get it back, you'll have this information and you'll have no idea what to do with it because there are mismatches in the screening. It's an automated process. There are mismatches in the screening. You know, there'll be a lot of Tony Martignetis and Poonam Prasads in there. And you have to make sure well, that- I don't, know if those are such, I don't know if those are such good examples. Uh- Punar Prasad and Tony Martinetti are not very common names, but there'll be a lot of there'll be a lot of Smiths and uh, Smiths and Joneses, etc. Okay. Yeah. Yes, and 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 uh, you know you'll be amazed how many Punam Prasads there are too. But oh anyway. really? All right. There aren't yeah. too many Tony Martinettis. I would be surprised. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but um, that, in fact, it's more confusing when there are only two or three because then you really begin to think this is your person, and then it turns out it's not your person. Right. Okay. So you're, you're, you're cautioning against doing it on your own. Or, I mean, if you're going to do it on your own, you said if you had just seven or so, you know, you're not going to hire an agency for that, but you just, you, the, the, the point is you need to be careful that you've got the right person. Yes. Right? Well, if you you've got like seven, check, check if middle, you've got middle initials, check addresses, check yes. whatever you do know yes. against what you found to make sure you're, you're dealing with the right person. Well, you can, you can uh, outsource, you know, a little bit of work every month with somebody, uh, with some research firm. We do that all the time. Uh, you know, it's not that we do it all, you know, in one go and finish. You know, we have like an arrangement where if somebody new comes in, gives more than $1,000, gives more than $500, whatever matters to them, they send it over to us. And we screen them, research them, give them back information on that person. Okay, okay. But if... It's geared to small agencies. It's geared to small agencies so that, you know, because otherwise what happens is the Harvard universities and the big, you know, big uh, who have seven researchers get all the big donors because they have the tools and they have the staff. So you, you do need to implement some of the techniques that the top fundraising organizations use. You mentioned, you mentioned before screening and research tools. Yes. Are there are there some out there that you can suggest that that folks can use on their own? Yes. Okay. Yes, you could you could take like a subscription what? with with uh, something like iWave or Donor Search and try to do some work on your own. Okay. You could look I, at the you could look at the LinkedIn profile of the person if you know, you know. I mean, small simple things you could Google them, of course. Uh, small things that you know you could look at if you know where they work, you could look at their bio. Most law firms have the lawyer's bio on, on the website. Many firms have the, you know, employee's bio, senior employee's bio. Doctors, you, there are free sites for looking up doctors to see what kind of specialty does the doctor have? Is it something that's relevant to my cause? 
Yeah, good. All right, right. If you can find the person's company or firm that they work for or practice, okay. And you mentioned iWave and Donor Search. Yes. So you these, can, these are subscription services. So you have to pay a little bit. Uh, you know, usually it's a year's subscription, and you can check out your donors through that. And they aggregate information of other gifts that the organization has received. Uh, other organizations have received from the same donor. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, right. Uh, right. Other charities that the person has given to. Yes. Right. Yes. So then you, you start to get a little profile of the person. All right. So, you, right. You can't you do have this to be a bit own. careful because of the person, your donor is in New York and the person, say a person with the same name is giving in Texas. You have to be careful to see why would my donor give in Texas? Maybe it's another person or maybe he went to school in Texas and he is giving in Texas. Or he's living to a senior center in Texas because my donor has a mother there who's in that home. So, you, you know, you need to be a bit intelligent about it. Yeah, right. With that, with that caution, you got yes. to that caveat. You got to be uh, certain that you're dealing with the right person. Otherwise, you're going down. You're going to start talking to the person about their gifts to Texas. And they're going to say, I don't know what you're talking about. And then, you, then you're going to be embarrassed. So, yes. all right. All right. Um, okay. So screening is a possibility. Good. Can engage a company. You can do some on your own. What what what, what are we going to do from uh, what we learned from our screening? Now what? So there's the thing. I mean, you know, we do research. We're a research firm, and we send research to our clients. The question is, how do you read this research? What does it mean to you? What what is the interpretation you get out of a research report? On suppose we write a little bio on this person. So what? What does what 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 is the strategy that comes out of this research. So the first thing that indicates higher giving is age. So anyone over the age of 60 or 65 has more disposable income. They paid their mortgage. They probably paid their children's college education. They're beginning to think about their own, you know, legacy, and they're beginning to give more generously. So 60, 65, you have a better chance of getting a higher upgrading their gifts. Before that, people are still on that little hamster wheel, you know, increasing their mortgage, buying a little bigger house, sending the children to a better school, you know, getting them into college. They just often do not have time unless they are very community minded and they might give to their local community or their college or things like that. But, but they become more, uh, philanthropic, more generous, generally after the age of 60. Now, there are always exceptions. The other thing where a lot of people look for, as you know, being in planned giving, is people without children. Because people without children do not have that usual legacy is, oh, I'm leaving good children into the world. Yeah, that's great. But when you don't have children, you have to really think, what is it that I am leaving? What footprint am I leaving in this world? that I lived and, and who benefited because I lived. And those people take a little more care and thought and, and usually will try to make an impact in a different way. And you can help them do that and make them happy. And they, you know, there, there's a lot of studies that say people who give are happier. People who give actually benefit more from their gift than the person receiving. Mm. So, it's at that age, particularly when you have that reflective time for reflection, that that we see better gifts. It's time for Tony's take two. 
Planned Giving Accelerator. I'm starting the promotion again, this time for the January 2022 class. I have accelerated the accelerator. It's no longer a 12-month course. It is now a six-month course. I will teach you step-by-step everything that was in the 12-month course, but we're going to we're gonna step it up. Six-month course, I'll teach you everything you need to know about starting your planned giving program. And you're not only learning from me, you're learning from your peers, folks who are similarly situated. They've got the same frustrations. They've got the same tensions, bandwidth constraints as you do. You learn from them. They're your, they become your friends, your allies, your safety net in Planned Giving Accelerator. So if you want to get your Planned Giving program started, you want to start in 2022, you can start with Planned Giving Accelerator. I hope you'll join me. All the info you need is at PlannedGivingAccelerator.com. That is Tony's Take Two. We've got Buku, but loads more time for next year's plan for your year-end donors. Then there are other things like education. For one thing, if you know the education, you can know other people who went to that school. So maybe you can have them gone. Maybe you have a board member who went there. So you can build the relationship more strongly. But also, of course, education indicates more disposable income. So you begin to see when you build a profile of the person, you say, oh, well, they went to the school, they're from that area, they studied social work or they studied history, or that tells you something about what they're interested in, right? Okay. And then there's the question of, although I said that, that people who don't have children you know, are, are very sought after by planned giving professionals, on the other hand, people in their lifetime are more generous who have children over the age of six. Because they're trying to inculcate good values in their children, they start to see the value of a community. So there are studies that show that people who have children over the age of six, they could be six to 18, they could be 18 to 24, but a family unit, a couple, usually has more disposable income. It could be a same-sex couple or a heterogeneous couple, but that heterosexual couple. But the point is, because there are two incomes in that family, they usually have more disposable income. So okay. so that that's important when you see that. So those are little things that you're looking at. And then, of course, there's the interest. What else they give to, you know, how old are they? Did Was it their parents that also gave to this charity or this type of charity? I have a I have a friend and he gave to a university music program. And I said to him, why do you give? You didn't even go to that university. Why are you giving to that music program? He said, well, I became friends with the dean. They invited me to an event. I went on a trip with them to Austria to listen to classical music. And he said, in the end, you know, my father died when I was very young. And the one thing I remember is sitting on his lap while he played the piano. So the piano music to him was... And he doesn't have any children. So, you know, that's what makes him happy, giving to students who play the piano. Well, he reminds, yes, of course, it reminds him of his dad. And he hopes that, that uh, those young students will have children of their own and, and those children will sit on their laps the way he sat on his dad's lap. 
All right. Uh, those are good. Uh, those are, those are valuable insights that we can, we can get from uh, that we, that we can get from the, the screening. So now going back to what you had suggested earlier, when you said get them to know you and let them get to know, uh, sorry, get to know them and yes. let them get to know you. So how do we do the second part of that? Now that we have this information, valuable insights, how do we let these new donors get to know us? Well, uh, we talked about the series of three emails that yeah. uh, welcome them. We have invitations. Uh, and of course, in this environment, maybe you can't invite them so easily, but you could still send them a video. Now, we had a, a homeless, uh, an organized agency for homeless people last year that we were working with. And they sent out a video of their new building. And somebody sent them $25,000 just from that video. Because the, it was the executive director going through the building and saying, you know, we had such hopes for this building. We finally got it built. We've got all these people we're going to bring into this building. And the person was so attached. He was also a senior citizen. He had money. He felt like, oh, let me help. There are other people out there my age who do not have housing. And here is somebody who's an agency that's providing it. And that video, you know, it's a small video that... They didn't even actually seriously ask for money in it. They just said, and if you'd like to, you know, there was a little button. And well, it, 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 it touched, it, it touched somebody. Well, video can do that. It's powerful that way. Oh. All right. And it, and it was a tour with the executive director. So you're really getting to know the person, you know, face to face. So as best you can in this environment, you, you know, it's a trusting relationship. So, by video, you're seeing them as best you can. The other thing is, of course, you could set up coffee with them. And people are much more accessible now because they're not going out. So people are taking calls. Even if they are not in where, at home, they're still taking calls from wherever they are. They're doing Zoom with you. They want to be contacted. All of us are starved for human contact. We took these things for granted. And now suddenly we realize how valuable our community is. You know, I walk out, I'm in (laughs) anonymous New York City, right, where nobody really knows anybody and you walk on the street and nobody should recognize you. No, it's not like that anymore. The moment I walk out on the street, my neighbors are standing out there. They're also walking. There's nowhere to go and nothing to do except to go for a walk. So they're all out there walking and we all suddenly know each other. So you realize how important your community is. So do you think that the door, the Area neighborhood association and things that are being done in our neighborhood are getting more attention. Sure. More people are planting, helping to plant in the parks. More people are helping to give to the local community association. Suddenly that's becoming more important. So some, and that's some, good for the small agencies. So engagement. Yeah. Uh, engagement at, at whatever level. It might be yes. something communal and community and in, in face-to-face. Yes, might be give them a virtual. chance to come and paint a mural on your wall of your, you know, of your agency. Uh, we have a, uh, a friend of mine runs a clay art center, a community, you know, they, they make pottery. They, they got the local artists together to come and paint the wall. Even during COVID, they could still do that. You wear your mask, you come and paint the wall. They're artistic. So you could plant flowers in your garden, invite them to do that, invite them to do outdoor things. In the local park, you could have a gathering of uh, rooftops. People have been doing gatherings or some of our clients have been doing gatherings on rooftops. 
whatever you can do outdoors, especially in the summer. And then also do. Now we were talking. Okay, well, we were we were talking about January, but that's okay. We're into yeah. spring now. Uh, but January, you could do just, a lunch and learn, I'm just uh, which is a good time to do a lunch and learn, and that also gives you an information uh, back because the people who attend, you do the lunch and learn on different programs, and people sign up based on their interests. So then you know, mm-hmm. well, this donor signed up for this lunch and learn on this program, so obviously that's what they care about. Or they might write to you and say, I didn't, I really wanted to attend this, but I couldn't. So you send them the recording of that lunch. That's another uh, value of having something which is recorded, which you're doing on Zoom. You can record it. Like, just like your radio programs, Tony. You, I, I'm, a, I'm a, big fan of, uh, a big fan of audio. I think it's a very intimate medium. Yep. All right. So we've 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 thought through our engagement. It might be something in real life. It might be something virtual. Uh, I love. I mean, you gave a lot of good ideas. Um, now we need to plan for the next solicitation. Yes. Now we're in. Uh, we're in like the third quarter of third quarter of of next year, and uh, it's coming time to solicit the person again. They they made a year end gift this year, so we're going to presume that they're they're going to do the same. Uh, let's exclude the folks who maybe became major donors and they've got a relationship now with a gift officer. We're not, we're not at that level. Uh, we're dealing with the, the larger group. We're planning our fourth quarter. What should we be thinking about in terms of possibly upgrading or should, should we not try to upgrade in the second year? What, what's your advice around planning that, that second year solicitation? Well, another thing that we never spoke about and some of my clients and colleagues will be very upset if I don't mention it, is creating a giving circle. So you could have, if you have enough donors at certain levels, you could try to upgrade them by creating a council, uh, uh, you know, a giving society, you know. Yeah. So, so somebody who gave 500, you could give them an incentive to upgrade to 1,000 because when they're at 1,000, they'll get such and such benefit. You know, uh, they'll meet somebody that they care about or they'll get a painting or they'll hear a concert or you'll have some event just for them. So so you're constantly upgrading those who gave 500 to 1,000, those who gave 1,000 to 5,000, those who gave 5,000 to 10,000. So so a little theater client is probably going to say, oh, you know, a famous Irish uh, actor is going to speak with 10 of you and you only get invited to that. If, if you give, you know, a little bit more than what they've already given. And that, and that creates a cohort of people. So they have a little sense of community because that giving society is going to meet. Um, we had the example of uh, a museum that was up. It's a very famous glass museum called the Corning Museum of Glass. And it was very well supported by the Corning Company. But the Corning Company went through some very tough times. And so they needed private support during that period. So they started with a giving society where people came up, they went to the museum, they were passing by on their way to Niagara Falls or they were interested in glass or whatever. And they they were told that if you give this much, that's great, we are very grateful. But if you give this much, you'll be invited to an event, the opening of our show. And guess what? We'll fly you up in our private plane because Corning had the private plane. And you won't have to drive all the way, you know, from New York City. We'll, 
and and that was something the company could no longer support the museum financially but they had this plane which flew up with their executives and i was such a such a cachet to to fly up in the private plane arrive at this uh, museum attend this beautiful event on roman glass with food from roman times and then have the director of the museum walk you through the show i saw one of the most beautiful things that you, you know i was a staff member trying to attend this and i thought i was wowed and and so you know you can be creative with almost anything you could if you're a social service agency you'll say oh, well i can't do that well you know you have people in your community who will come out and provide their celebrity help to you so you could still have somebody do a little concert or somebody somebody from your community who's a wonderful singer musician or something and and it may be not relevant but maybe their daughter was helped by your uh you know educational charity or their uh, mother was served by your senior citizen center they will do things for you there was a person who used to come and play the piano at a senior citizen center in uh, uptown um uh, all the way up uh, you know uh, above where columbia university is and like morningside heights or something riverside riverside heights oh riverside okay yeah you know up Hudson up heights. there uh above columbia where the cloisters the museum is there there and nobody knew who this person was but when we looked him up he was a very famous pianist who used to play at the carlisle and his mother was in the center and so he would come up and perform and so we asked him if he would perform and he did a concert at steinway hall for us because he was a famous man and okay. Right. There are little treasures in your community. You just have to find out about them. There are little gems floating around. All right. So you like the idea of incentivizing folks to uh, to give a little, give more, even even in the second year. So they were they were our it was first year was last year. Now we're planning for the next year. Incentivize them to increase even in that set just in that second year. Yes. Yes, and they will because you've okay. been talking to them. You've been engaging with them in different ways. and and maybe some of them will become you know much higher level donors because for small agencies a small amount can make a big difference whereas if they gave that small amount to a much larger organization they can't give them that personalized attention and it's not going to make it's going to be a drop in the bucket for them yeah there are those folks who will be more will be more generous to smaller agencies because they they get a lot better treatment they have more fulfilling relationships with a smaller organization than they would at an organization where their gift was not so meaningful in their community uh, so they you know they feel closer to it okay all right punam why don't you leave us with some uh, final thoughts please well just remember about the leaky bucket you know it's a, we all grow up with that song there's a hole in the bucket dear liza dear liza so just remember you are not going to let your bucket leak you're going to make every effort you can to get those the the donor who's going to fall through the cracks give him as much attention as i say lavish mavi cultivation whatever tactics you can think of whatever relationship building and uh, getting to know you uh, thoughts and strategies that you can come up with have a plan learn about them and let them learn about you excellent Punam, I'm going to look. I, I'm going to remind myself uh, 
refresh my memory about uh, there's a hole in the bucket, dear Liza, dear Liza. What do, what do we do? Something like, what do we do? All right. Thank you. Punam Prasad, founder and president, Prasad Consulting and Research. The company is at prasadconsulting.com and she is at Prasad C. Thank you very much, Punam. Thank you, Tori. Pleasure to talk to you. My pleasure as well. Next week, engaged boards will fundraise with Michael Davidson and Brian Saber from Asking Matters. If you missed any part of this week's show, I beseech you, find it at TonyMartinetti.com. We're sponsored by Turn2 Communications, PR and content for nonprofits. Your story is their mission. Turn-2.co. Our creative producer is Claire Meyerhoff. The show's social media is by Susan Chavez. Mark Silverman is our web guy. And this music is by Scott Stein. Thank you for that affirmation, Scotty. Be with me next week for Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Go out and be great. <laughs>